Welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. This is episode 191. Um, first and foremost, I have to say, I hope you guys are all hanging in there, staying positive, um, and just doing your absolute best right now. Um, because at the end of the day, that's all we can do is our absolute best every single day, whatever that may be, whether that's, you know, um, staying at home, uh, trying to help your kids out the best you can, or whether that's, you know, going to your job, uh, if you're like a medical worker or something like that, um, you know, just doing your best, staying positive. That's, that's what I'm hoping people are taking away from, from, uh, from this right now um and i'm gonna be honest when i when we first went into this like lockdown thing uh i texted some of my closest friends and i was like what what do i do about the podcast guys like does anyone really care like who's gonna care at this you know at this time you know it's so crazy right now um and they were like they basically said what i was hoping that they would say which, cause basically I was like, do I just take a break for like a couple months? Like, what do I do? And they were like, well, you know, people are going to need a respite. They're going to need like a break from, uh, from the news and, and all that stuff. So, you know, if you're providing that for, you know, a few people, like you're doing what you need to be doing. And I was like, ah, thanks. And they're like, also you would probably go insane if you didn't have a chance to just sit down and talk to people about, you know, something different, you know, cause I'm a very social person and, you know, this is a good excuse to be able to get on the phone with some really cool people to, to chat with them. So anyways, that's kind of where I'm at with this whole thing. Um, this episode we recorded probably the weekend before all the lockdowns in the United States and stuff happened. So, um, or the stay-at-home orders or whatever it's called. Uh, so anyways, uh, so we recorded it before then. Um, I'm really excited. This is with a guy I went to high school with. Uh, his name's Jake Allison. Um, Jake, you know you know how it goes. Like you, you go to school with somebody and then you go on different paths and you hear about the path other people are on. And, and for Jake, I was like, wow, that sounds kind of cool. Like that dude followed his dream and like followed his own path. And I like really, really respected it. And yet I probably hadn't talked to with him since at least the first, the early days of, of college for me. So probably about, I don't know, like 10 years or so, which is crazy. Um, so anyways, I'm super excited today to just sit down and hear his story. So just in a nutshell, um, he, had always been a really athletic guy and uh senior of high school decided he was going to get into uh dance and ballet and he chased that dream for 10 or so years uh all around the country um awesome story and now he lives in northern ireland and is really getting into cycling which is another like really cool aspect so Anyways, let's jump right into the episode. This is the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 191 with Jake Allison. But yeah, dude, I'm excited to catch up, man, honestly. Um, I was talking to Brady this morning, and I have a story of the very first time I met you. Oh, really? I do. 
let oh, me let me see if this checks out. Let me just say, light blue soccer team. Oh my god! Were you on the light blue? Fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. and uh, so I'm pretty sure we're on the same soccer team. And I was ta- as I was, uh, you know, thinking about this, I was like, dude, this just explains what I think of when I think of Jake Allison. Um, I just remember playing soccer and then looking like you were goalie for some reason. I was like, what coach made Jake Allison a goalie? Like he has way too much energy. Let him run around, you know? Um, (laughs) And you were just in the back doing like cartwheels and stuff. And I was like, this guy just does his own thing and he's cool with it. And I, I respect that. I I honestly do not remember being goalie. I remember being on light blue, uh, <laughs> but I also remember that I stopped doing soccer at the end of fourth grade because I started pushing people over, and and finally my parents said, "Well, it's time to play football," you know. And I, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure I was doing cartwheels if I wasn't involved. If I if they put me in the goalie, I'm sure I was doing something on my own. <laughs> Well, and I was just like, you know what, like the more I think about it, you know, from your athletic journey from there on out, I was like, that checks out. Like it all checks out, you know? Yeah. Like you just were like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have fun back here doing cartwheels and I'm not going to care like what anyone says or thinks or whatever. Well, that has been my MO for a long (laughs) time. (laughs) yeah man well so i kind of want to get into it uh i want to hear about just yeah like your athletic journey i guess to start with okay uh well i can give you some snapshots uh to kind of i think explain you know why i made the decisions i made uh that's that's a perfect place to start talking about you know getting into Muscatine's peewee football uh, system. And the very first coach I had was Denny Edwards on the M&M Ford Mustangs, which was really intense. Really? And it was the most – Yeah, I mean, I hadn't experienced anything that intense before. And, you know, you had Nick Ferrer on the team, <laughs> and Nick Ferrer's dad was a coach. And they were hardcore, man. I mean – We'd be doing, you know, we'd be doing drills and we'd be doing, you know, six inches. You'd have your feet six inches off the ground on your back and they'd take your helmet and drop it on your stomach from six feet above just to, and tell you you can't drop your legs. I'm, I'm in fifth grade. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we got to get this. Up. We got to get this fifth grade some abs or something. Yeah, it was crazy. So, but I loved it. I loved it. It was it was awesome. It was uh, you looked forward to it every day, you know, going and getting your ass kicked. Yeah. So. Do you remember the first practice, like the first day of practice, where you like put on the pads and they're like, now you got to line up and look at this guy across from you and tackle him. And I was just like, I've never tackled another human being in my life, and now I'm gonna like run up full speed and like try not to like break my neck, I guess. Yeah, it it is a weird feeling. It's so uncomfortable. The gear is so it doesn't feel natural. You got the mouth guard in, you got all this bulky stuff. You're, you know, the pat the helmet's pinching in your head because it doesn't fit right. Uh, 
and and then yeah you got to go hit somebody and the first time you do it you you know you're not going as hard as you can you're so hesitant yeah but i remember getting hit by dominic wheeler and uh then i understood how hard you had to hit somebody yeah yeah you know to not hurt your not to get hurt yourself and then <laughs> and then it, then it gets fun you know yeah, i played man. corner in high school so you were always hitting people well i remember here's my second jake allison memory it was eighth grade football game uh central oh, middle school that... against west middle school we had just watched rudy to get jacked up for the game <laughs> And then I'm pretty sure it was me against you, like nose guard center kind of situation. Oh, you were you were playing center, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, this is a war of attrition. I remember this game. <laughs> yes. No, because I everybody else we played that season, I could get around. I could move the center, and you and I just battled. It was great. Like hours. It was yeah. great, man. It was one of the first, like, for me, playing football, it's like, this is one of the first big battles where you remember it, you know? Because most games, I, like, I think back, like, I don't remember any middle school game, to be honest. And then this one I remember, though, because it was, like, every single play, you're like, who's going to win this play? It was crazy. <laughs> no, that was <laughs> awesome. No, now that you say that, I, I clearly remember this. Yeah. But yeah, man, so take us from there. So going to high school and then here's, and this is kind of what I'm relating to with that first story is, uh, for a small town, Iowa, not that we're like a tiny town. Like, I don't want people to think we're like a town of like 60 people in the middle of like a cornfield or something, but for, for like a regular Iowa town for you to quit football and then take a, take a kind of right turn into something that you became like completely passionate about. Um, and I just, I think that's so cool. And I think people can learn from your story because I think it took a lot of, I don't know, guts. Like, is that a right thing to say? Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, in the looking at everything I was doing, it wasn't a complete for me it didn't seem like that weird of a decision to make because i you know while i had played football from fifth grade on and you and done everything that goes with that i had also been involved in choir and musical theater uh originally because my mom made me <laughs> you know because she said that she wanted to be a, me wanted me to be a well-rounded person and, you know, even when all I wanted to do was play football, she made me do that stuff. And then later on, you know, after a couple of years of doing that, I, I did enjoy it and found I enjoyed it and continued doing it in high school. So, uh, but yeah, the main reason I decided to quit football and really focus on dance was we, I had started taking dance classes after uh, our sophomore musical and a very uh, charismatic dance teacher, Bruce Brown, from the local area, had said to a few of us guys, why don't you come check out the studio this summer? So we would go in in the evenings uh, after having gone to football in the morning. So we would do you know, morning practices, and then I'd go home to eat a big meal, sleep for two hours, and then go dance. And the... Uh, the challenges were completely different 
um, instead of like being about bulking up and how much can you lift and, you know, can you get your name on the board of the weight room? It was more about how flexible can you be? How uh, quick can you be? How coordinated can you be? How many turns can you do? And for me, it was, uh, I came into this environment where I knew nothing. It was so many things to learn at once. And it was so, it was such a, an enticing challenge. Whereas football, I kind of felt like I was plateauing. I didn't, I wasn't as passionate as I had been before. And, you know, sophomore year, junior year, you kind of start to realize like very few people are going to go play ball, Yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to stay passionate about it if you know the end is coming, you know? That's I don't true, know, man. That is, I didn't, I haven't thought about it that way, but yeah, like how do you keep that passion alive when you know that you only have like another year left? Yeah. And also, you know, you're just growing. Age, I was 16, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. You, you have to think about college, girls, you know, all these things were crowding my head. And so the, the catalyst, the, the big moment was we had to go do that stupid camp up at Camp Abe Lincoln yeah. with, with three a days. Oh, yeah. Chafe City, that's what I called it. Oh, God. That sucked so bad. It was so bad. <laughs> yeah, you would just stay, you stay there. Up. Yeah, you would stay there for three or four days, and all you would do is go to football practice and then lay on a super, like in a super hot cabin and just chug yeah. water. It was awful. It was, and they'd make you watch. Remember the Titans, <laughs> like, and and these people would be sitting behind you. I, I'm not going to name any names, but you know, they'd just be sitting there giving you crap all the time. And anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, and people had at that point. It was the end of the summer, so that whole summer I'd also been doing dance, and people had found out about it basically. The word had gotten around that I had started taking dance very seriously. And, you know, some of the juniors, seniors had started giving me crap about it. And even some of the coaches had started giving me crap about it. That's not cool, man. I'm I'm thinking back, and I think I sent you a message this last summer, and I was like, I hope I wasn't one of those jerks. No, you weren't. Okay. You weren't. Okay, that's good, because no. I'm like, I mean, you're a high school kid. Like, who knows what dumb stuff you said, you know? Oh man, you you actually no. I distinctly remember you never saying anything like that. Um, but there were there were some people that did, and I don't know. I guess at the end of that summer, I had found something new that I was in love with. So I said, I went into Coach Each, went into into his office, and I said, you know, I, I'm I'm done. And this is after I did camp. Yeah, I went through that whole process. <laughs> And before we even played a game, I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, what, what, like, in that moment, like, what was going through your head? Like, were you nervous or were you just like, this is the right move? I'm, I've, I've now found, like, a new passion, a new thing to really pursue. And I want to, like, put more energy into that. I was scared. Yeah. I was really scared because I'd never quit anything in my life. You know, I'd never told somebody, like, I'm not going to be there anymore, you know? 
And uh, especially something I'd invested. I mean, God, how many hours yeah. had we invested in football at that point? You know, going into the gym six in the morning, staying after school three hours. Like that's a lot. That's a lot of investment just to give it up. It it was hard, but I knew I made the right decision afterwards. It felt it felt good. Yeah. Although I have to say, a lot of people were not happy with me. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people weren't happy with me. Let me say this. I didn't know this. Brady was telling me this morning. The dance studio you were at was at Skateland, right? Which, yeah. to anybody listening, not from Muscatine, they're going to be like, what's that? It was just a stupid like roller skating rink. <laughs> but to yeah. me, I was like, whoa, that's an awesome But place. it actually makes a lot of sense for a dance studio. Yeah. Looking back at it, it's a big, wide open space with high ceilings and wooden floors. Yeah. which is you need a sprung floor to dance on. So it was a great space. Yeah. 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 Well, so I, here's, a, here's a, a, one of the questions from Brady, when you're talking about like the different levels of any sport, really, cause we'll get into your cycling in a little bit. So feel free to refer that to, to that as well. But like, you know, you level up from any sport and it gets more complicated. It gets faster. It gets more intense. Like, what is that like in dance? Because you ended up leveling, like you took this to like a really high performing level at, at a certain point. Well, uh, so originally, you know, so I had gotten involved in what basically can be called musical theater dance, which you can see in like old movies, like, singing in the rain or you know those kind of movies where it's 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 definitely complicated but y- you watch it and you think i could probably pick that up if yeah. you're a coordinated person you watch that and you think if i worked hard i could do that yeah and so that's what bruce was equipped to teach me and that's what i learned with him and i applied to go to university uh, the school in Oklahoma called Oklahoma City University, which is strangely enough one of the the nation's best musical theater schools. So they send people to Broadway. They have more graduates working in Broadway than any other training program, and like half of the Rockettes are from Oklahoma City University. So it's a it's a very prestigious musical theater uh, dance college. So I went to an audition. Drove down to Oklahoma City, did an audition, and I got in. And uh, I went there, and it was incredible. I mean, I was having the time of my life. You know, it was dancing all day, you know, eight hours a day, and learning all these different things. But the biggest thing, the most influential part of this training was they made us take ballet class every day for an hour and a half. And you started your day by taking ballet class. Now, people have an idea about ballet, you know, that it's this this very fluffy, kind of light, airy thing. But in reality, ballet class is an hour and a half intensive plyometric workout. That's okay. Can I pause you for a second? I had the classic. So I teach middle school, as you know. Um, and I had these boys in my leadership class and they were like, you know, talking smack to a girl about her dance classes and ballet class. And I was like, guys, you do not understand. 
if you went to her class within five minutes, you would be on the floor crying probably yeah. like you would be so yeah. physically exhausted and like, what do you mean? I'm like, have you seen what people do in ballet? Like it's the most athletic, like flexible, uh, you know, like strength building thing you could possibly imagine, you know? Yeah. The amount of neuromuscular power you have to have is, uh, is insane. And the coordination also between those things is, is really intense. Yeah. And I, I wasn't ready for it, you know, and I had been an athlete my whole life, but five days a week taking this ballet class changed a lot about my body and the way I looked at, at, you know, how I take, took care of myself. Yeah. You know, in terms of, I had to start icing every day. I had to start, I had to learn how to give myself a massage with a with a roller and with you know all these things because if you don't you show up the next day you're gonna you're in a lot of pain yeah I mean it's just day after day after day and uh, it was incredible it was a great experience but it was also very expensive and uh, luckily so I did my first semester there and I took some student loans out and after the first semester, I kind of assessed the situation and I went and I went to the dean of the school and I said, look, you know, I can't afford this. I need some more money from you guys. And they wouldn't step up. So I told, you know, told my family, told my friends about this. And I ended up telling Bruce about this. And he looked around the community in Muscatine and found me some funding awesome. so that I could finish my, finish my first year there. And luckily, in my second semester, one of my ballet teachers told me about a training opportunity that summer in Vermont. And uh, it was a summer camp where I could go be a counselor and get training there, take ballet class and do uh, repertoire, which is pieces from different ballets. I could do it for free if I would be a camp counselor. And so... I sent a video out and they said, yeah, come on out to Vermont. And so I saved money and I worked as a writing tutor at the university and paid for a ticket and flew out to Vermont for the summer to be a camp counselor at this ballet summer camp. And it was there I met another counselor who said to me, my teacher who lives in Delaware is starting a training program for young adults. And... I looked him up and he had come from St. Petersburg, Russia, which is where the world's best ballet school is. And he had graduated from the best ballet school you can go to. Yeah. So I said to myself, I'm not going back to Oklahoma City. I'm going to move to Delaware. You're like, I can't pass and, up this opportunity. Like, this is too nice. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I made a video of myself dancing. And if you go back and watch it now, it's uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, for some reason, I was thinking about that this morning. Because, you know, it's whatever career or passion you have. But if you think about what you were like when you first started, <laughs> you're, it's painful, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, it's the ignorance. And ballet is so complicated. And, like, the differences are so subtle but I can see them all. It's, it's cringy yeah. to watch it. You know, you just cringe. And, uh, 
But anyway, I sent this video, and I I went back to Muscatine. I'm like working at, uh, you know that card. There's a cardboard factory down in South End. I just went to Temp because I I was like in in between stuff. So I was working at a cardboard factory, and I got a call from this guy. To hello, this is Jake. <laughs> I'm like, who's this? He's like, it's Pasha. <laughs> you sent me the video. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, you need to come as soon as possible. We have a lot of work to do. Put down your cardboard right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It was basically it. So I packed up my Nissan and I drove out to Delaware. Dude, what's going through your mind on a drive from Iowa to Delaware? Like, to dive into the unknown, basically. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea. I mean, looking back, I, I was stupid, and I wouldn't do it if I had any idea of what I was doing. <laughs> you know, I had a couple grand in the bank, yeah, and I thought, oh, you know, and I didn't even know any. I didn't know about like security deposits, and I didn't know how much stuff cost on the East Coast compared to Iowa, and like, you know, all that stuff. I didn't know about how aggressive parking tickets would be. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, like I'm from I'm from Muscatine. I don't know any of this stuff. You know, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I went out there, and the first year I was so it's a very it was a big step up from what I'd been doing in terms of difficulty in training. Um, but this guy, Pasha, my teacher, uh, his dream was to start a ballet company, but he needed to amass a group of young dancers that he could get to a place where he thought they would, you know, people would pay to watch them dance. Yeah. And uh, so that's, so he started this pre-professional training program and I went out and started training with him. And uh, I actually lived with him for the first six months that I moved there because I found that it was very difficult to find an apartment. Yeah. And uh, so what I would do is I I got a job at the Olive Garden and I worked at the Olive Garden during the days and I would go train at night. And uh, I did that doing like 60 hour weeks for two years. Dang, man. And... uh, I living with Pasha my whole life became ballet basically like I would come home from work talk with him about ballet we would go into the studio and work for four hours and then we'd come home and eat dinner and talk more about ballet or watch videos and I learned some Russian and I learned how to eat Russian food and I met all these different ballet dancers who were his friends who lived in, you know, Boston and New York and places like this. They would come and visit and they'd tell stories. And it was a really incredible time in my life. Yeah. Uh, just like I had finally found a place where my passion could be met with another person's passion for teaching and pedagogy, you know? Yeah, it was just it was a really great uh, combination of those two things. That that's awesome. Like you get to just kind of 
geek out with someone who knows what they're talking about and is also just as passionate about it as you. Yeah, and his and his credentials were so good that I trusted him completely. You know, not only was the training far and above anything else I had received up to that point, but everyone else I met also felt the same way about him. So I knew I could trust him, which I think is really important in any coaching situation. You know, trust has to be a hundred percent for anything to happen, you know? Yeah. And I trusted him. Absolutely. That's I, I mean, I still trust him. But, yeah. But was, was there other, time- was there other people like kind of in the same boat as you? Like, I don't know because yeah. you know you're talking about like moving to a, the East Coast and not really knowing what you were getting yourselves into. Like, did you guys have just a whole group of people like that, or were you kind of like the only one kind of experiencing that? Well, there were uh, two other people there who had basically had a similar journey to me. Okay, they they wanted to become professional ballet dancers, but hadn't. Uh, hadn't gotten the training as early as they should have. So they were also there uh, investing in, you know, in their training. And we all became friends. Uh, You know, we all became best friends and we still are to this day. And basically went through this really intensive training period together, which of course I, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them because it was, it was really hard. Was there moments where you had decided in your head, like, hey, I'm giving this up, like, I'm done? And then did they kind of, like, support you to, like, hey, man, no, you're not? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, as, you know, you look at a movie like Rocky or something like that. I was playing the movie in my head. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the Russians, uh, they're no no BS. (laughs) You know, and like feelings don't really play a part in that. Yeah. So, you know, if something goes wrong, you can't just say like, I don't feel good today, you know? And there were times when my American sensibilities were uh, confronted by just Russian realism. I'll say that. (laughs) When there were moments where I had to walk out of this out of the door and ask myself, you know, do I want to do this? Am I even going to be able to do this? Yeah. And, you know, because most people who become ballet dancers start when they're nine or ten. Yeah, that's and, true. You had like kind of like a weird journey in that sense. Yeah, very, very unorthodox. Yeah. And. I constantly felt my entire career that, you know, I was catching up. I was catching up. And uh, even when I was dancing lead roles in ballets and getting paid for it, I still felt like, you know, I'm catching up. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that just the the imposter syndrome, though? Like, I feel like everyone, like, you could probably take the person who's, like, one of the top-level ballet dancers or really like in any sort of passion or whatever and i bet they have the same thoughts 
Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that's just anybody who has that drive or maybe, you know, type A personality or whatever. I don't, I don't like, I don't don't know if that's like even a legitimate, you know, thing to say, but those very driven people, I do feel like also are full of self doubt. For sure. How do you battle that? How did you, how did you battle it? at that point like i don't know you're in your 20s you know you're still developing and figuring things out not that i mean i think we always are obviously like i've accepted the fact i'll never figure anything out 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. but especially i don't know i just remember being in my in my early 20s just kind of being like you're just exposed to the world for the first time and you're like whoa i don't know anything about anything yeah well, luckily, like you said, I did have a good a good support system. You know, even though I was away from home, yeah, I I could call my buddies like Brady, yeah, and you know, I I called Bruce a couple times in really tough moments because he had been through a you know professional artistic career, and I had my my fellow dancers that I could you know my fellow people training that would support me. Yeah. But yeah, there were some tough moments. There's always, you know, that's anybody who's doing a training, an intensive training process. There's going to be tough moments. Luckily with ballet, and it's, I guess it's, it would be like running or anything. You're always imp- trying to improve seconds, you know, by seconds or by minutes or whatever, or trying to get your heart rate lower or, or whatever. Yeah. In ballet, you're always trying to get your leg a little bit higher. You're always trying to do another pirouette or, you know, these kind of things. So you have these benchmarks and I always felt like I was, you know, steadily improving and I could measure it really easily that way. So that also helped get through tough moments. Yeah. Having those measurements when you're actually learning something for the first time, I, I don't know. I find is just incredibly important. Yeah. And it's the thing that kind of, you know, drives you forward. Cause you're like, Oh, I got that one. Now I can work on the next one and so on. And I remember, man, I'm trying to even remember the last time me and you hung out, but I'm trying to remember if it was during this time that you're talking about. Cause I, I just remember you telling me like, Hey, I'm trying to work on a half turn and that's going to take like the most ridiculous amount of focus and physical work just to, and I was just like, just to turn like a half more. Like that's crazy to me, man. Well, uh, I mean, if you think about it, you have all of your, your body weight. And at this time I was probably 170 to 175 pounds. Uh, and all of your body weight has to turn on the ball of your foot. That's crazy. Man. So you've got a, you know, three square inches that all of your body is rotating on top of at a very fast speed. And ideally, you want to do four or five rotations. So it's, uh, you know, getting that extra one is a big deal. And yeah. it, it's also a very enticing goal. Because you'll get it one day, you'll do four one day, and the next day you can't do two. <laughs> what the hell was I doing yesterday? <laughs> yeah, that 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 led me to this. So you're always, you know, analyzing your preparation. Did I do a core workout before class? You know, what did I do? What did I think about? And so 
It's a very yeah. intellectual intellectual pursuit as well in that way. Yeah. Did you find anything that like helped along the way? Like was there any kind of uh habits or anything that you developed to kind of like help you out? Yeah, I think every ballet dancer has their uh has their own uh you know, warm-up routine. Yeah. And I mine was some people could show up 10 minutes before class and have a great day. I needed to be there an hour early. Yeah. Yeah, I had to go in an hour early and wear three layers of warm-up clothes, you know, sweats and sweaters and <laughs> three pairs of socks. Slowly be... stripping them off as you go. <laughs> yeah, I had to get in. I had to be in a full-on sweat before class started. Oh, okay, for I see. A, a good day. So That's awesome. everybody's different that way. But yeah, I definitely always did an ab, like at least 10 minutes of ab exercises before I would take class and just to get everything engaged and tight before, you know, before dancing. Yeah. What was your like kind of end expectation or did you have an end goal or were you just like legitimately just chasing your passion and being like, I like doing this. I'm just going to keep doing this. Yeah. I mean, the end goal is just to, I mean, my first goal was to get paid. So it's a good goal. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course my first goal was I want to get good enough that somebody's going to pay me to do this. Yeah. And after I had done that, you know, of course, after you do that, the next goal is I want to do the lead roles, you know? So I was doing, when you start out, you do what's called corps de ballet, which is, uh, just means like the group. Okay. You know, those are the people who dance in big group numbers and they make the picture behind the lead dancers. Okay. So I did that for a couple of years after, after becoming professional and, you know, the dream of course is to be the guy that's doing the soloist roles and who gets to do the partnering work with, with the ballerina. And so, uh, I, got an opportunity to do a couple of those kind of things with other soloists. So it wasn't the lead role yet. So it would have been three guys instead of 10 guys, Yeah, you know, and, uh, that was the next step. And then there was a point where there was a year where I didn't get to do any of that. And I thought to myself, what's going on here? You know, I, there were other, there were other guys I was competing against. And so I decided uh, that year to enter a uh, ballet competition in Boston. So I thought, well, maybe I need to go to a different company. And so uh, I entered into a ballet competition and I got a coach and I went up to Boston and competed in the competition and I, I, I didn't win, but I got into the semifinals and uh, after that, I started getting better roles yeah. in the company I was dancing for because I think I had shown initiative to, to the artistic director. I had shown them, you know, I'm willing to go the extra mile to prove myself. Yeah. And you're, it was all probably almost like this guy wants it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I hope so. I hope so. But that, so that's basically like, you know, the progression is you want to get paid then you want to do more soloist roles. And eventually you want to become what's called a principal dancer, which is where you're doing the lead roles, uh, you know, on, on, in, in ballets. Yeah. So. What's the rush feel like, man? Like on performance night on stage, what does that feel like? And how do you prepare beforehand? It's a lot of adrenaline. Oh, it's dude, so... I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, I mean, have you ever, have you ever done, well, you're a teacher, so you're, you're used to public speaking. Now I am. I do. Do you, do you remember though? Like I was the shyest, like, I feel like I was very shy. Maybe I wasn't, but that's how I perceived myself. Well, how I perceive it, I guess doesn't matter how you perceive it is what matters. <laughs> I was the snowman in our fifth grade play and I do remember being terrified, but that's like the only get up in front of people and perform kind of thing that I've done besides teaching. Cause you're right. It is, there's a lot of performance in your lessons every day. Um, and your and in it, my joke is always you're performing to the scariest audience ever middle schoolers. Yeah. For real. <laughs> I mean, that's so true. Yeah. But I mean, the lights are on you and everything like, I don't know. I just, I can't imagine that situation. And I think it ta does take a special person to be able to handle that and also be able to go out and be charismatic. Well, that's, and that's, that's the challenge because the adrenaline is the same as you feel when you go out to play football, Yeah, you know, like you're going to go play Bettendorf or, you know, assumption. Like that adrenaline, that kind of fear that like these dudes are good yeah. and you know they're good, that feeling is the same as being in the wings and knowing an audience is out there. But the difference is when you go out to play a sport, unless you're a receiver or quarterback or, you know, the amount of precision, does, you don't have to look pretty doing it is what I'm saying. If you get the job done, that's all that counts. Yeah. But in ballet, everything has to be precise and it has to be beautiful. And like it has to move people emotionally. Yeah. You know, and like I feel like in athletics, there are very few people that do that. You know, but there are some like somebody like Kobe Bryant or Michael Jordan or people like that. that the way they moved, you know, it made you feel something more than just watching somebody play a game. And like, that's how I try and explain ballet to people is yeah. every moment of on, when you're on stage, you're attempting to do that. That's awesome. And, man. and if it, if you feel that connection with the audience, it is an incredible feeling. It doesn't happen all the time, but when it does happen, it is a really beautiful feeling. Are you in your head at all? Cause I mean, I got to, I got to imagine that when it's, you feel that connection, you're just completely in the zone or in flow state kind of, you know, performing. But if you don't feel the connection, is there like a voice in the back of your head? Like, Oh my God, these people aren't enjoying this. Uh, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah. Those moments suck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or like when you just, you feel lactic acid in your legs, you know, like, <laughs> It's a, a lot of times you get because it's very it's very anaerobic. Yeah. In that like 
you'll be dancing like solo, a solo a solo dance will be a minute and a half to two minutes long, but you're jumping for a minute and a half to two minutes. So at about a minute, your legs start to yell at you. And like, if you're not in the zone, you start listening. <laughs> and if, if you are in the zone, then that doesn't bother you. You can, you can move through it. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if you want to know what it feels like, go, go do box jumps for two minutes, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. See, and yeah. that's what I was trying to explain to those kids in my class. I'm like, you guys do not, they just didn't understand. And you know, they're middle school kids. So I'm like, I get it, man. But you'll, I'm like that, that's the kind of athleticism that is insane. Cause you just saying you go do box jumps for two minutes. I'm like, well, that sounds horrible. No, like that. Why would anyone do that? But then when you put it with like a performance art, I'm like, Oh, I totally get why people would do that. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but like, I guess, how do you control your face and your emotions? Like when it starts just hurting and destroying your legs? Well, there's, uh, there's a lot of approaches, you know, I mean, of course the, the preparation is very important. The rehearsal yeah. leading up to the performance, uh, ideally you would, you know, you would have rehearsed so much that you would have gained some endurance and know when things are going to start hurting, you'll, you'll anticipate it and know when you need to breathe when you have a moment to breathe you maximize your breathing and you're able to know like it's going to be over in 30 seconds don't listen to your legs you know yeah uh, things like that um but everybody has their own way of preparing to be to communicate that performance aspect of it that you're asking you know your face and that connection with the audience the story i like to tell people is uh there's a very famous ballet dancer, American ballet dancer called Gelsey Kirkland, and she wrote a book uh, called Dancing on My Grave, which is about her battle with drug addiction. But she had a very unique way of preparing to become a character she was playing, and she would write a journal for six weeks leading up to a performance. She would write a journal entry in character wow so if she was playing a peasant girl for six weeks she would write a daily entry in her character so that when it came to perform she had all of these thoughts and stories of having lived that character on top of rehearsing the, the steps and 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 all of that stuff that's pretty cool just the discipline for that like is what pays yeah. off i think yeah, and and that's and I think that's why she's very, uh, you know, people remember her dancing because yeah. it was very informed that's and awesome. very, yeah, well prepared for. So yeah. that, but that's an extreme case. Not everybody does that. <laughs> I did that for the fifth grade snowman part. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this um, is what it feels like when the water melts off of my yeah, arms. First, <laughs> I was a cloud, and then I snowed. Um, <laughs> let's transition really quick. Uh, I do want to hear about cycling. So, um, yeah, you've kind of—I don't know. I is this just part of your personality? Like you have to be moving um, and and striving towards some sort of goal or you know what i mean because dance ended um somewhat maybe i don't want to speak for you i guess but and then now cycling's kind of become something you're really passionate about yeah well 
you know, long story short, I, I had an injury in 2013. I tore my ACL in rehearsal. How? And uh, I was in a, a, a big jump I yeah. was doing. And, uh, you know, I'm glad it happened in rehearsal and not on stage. It would have been bad if it had happened on stage. What do you but, do? Uh, on Like, what do people do on stage if that happens? I don't know. It's rare. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean you you find a way to get off stage and then somebody else fills in for you you know okay and i mean on, on the worst case scenario is they have to cancel the rest of the performance but you know so i that happened and uh i was 25 and i luckily i was able to get on my parents insurance because of obamacare and i was able to get a re- get it reconstructed yeah so i went home and i had been doing my undergraduate degree you know one class at a time uh earning an undergraduate degree and then so i decided while i was recovering i'd just go to iowa and so i lived with my folks and got my finished my bachelor's over the next two years and uh after that uh i wasn't you know you can get your ACL reconstructed, but it's never going to be the same. Yeah. So I decided I wasn't going to try and go and dance professionally again, but I would teach. And so uh, I moved with my fiance out to Phil. Well, she was in Philadelphia, so I moved out uh, to live with her in Philadelphia. And uh, while I was looking for a job, I started working for Postmates, which is a bike delivery service. Yeah. Okay. So they deliver, uh, you know, they deliver food by bicycle. And I had this old beater uh, road bike, and I rode around Philadelphia for six months delivering food for eight hours a day, and I never got tired of it. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. And I love riding my bike. And so after I finally got a job in publishing and started making some money, I thought, I want to keep riding, so I bought a road bike, and I started training for my first race in, God, what was it, 2016. I uh, I did my first uh, I, Cat 4 race. In America, they do four categories, so the, the beginner level is Cat 4. So I did my first Cat 4 race. It was a 50-mile race in central PA. And I came in very last. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> I got I got dropped uh, from the bunch on the very first hill. And I had been training for like three months. I thought really hard, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was doing really, really good. <laughs> and I got, I got my butt dropped on the first hill. But I finished the race. I came in very last. Do you know what and... they call that in ultra running? No, what do they call that? They say that you DFL'd, which is dead last oh okay <laughs> and it's like an actual like people put that person on a pedestal because like they were out there the longest you know like they're the most badass go. of all of us just to make you feel better oh thank you well i was i was proud that i finished like i yeah. you know when i got dropped i was embarrassed but after about 40 miles i thought oh my god i'm gonna die <laughs> <laughs> and the fact the fact that I finished it, I was I was totally happy with it. Yeah. So. Yeah. What was? Yeah, yeah so, man. I've never 
even attempted a big bike race, you know? So I can't, it's hard for me to even imagine what the, that whole experience is like. It's, uh, well, it, it's very dynamic in that the first 30 to 40 minutes are balls to the walls. Yeah. I mean, everybody is trying to drop as many people off the bunch as possible. So if you don't know that, it can get very intimidating. Yeah. You know, and you're, you're going, you know, 30, 30 miles an hour with 40, 50 other guys, you know, around these turns and people are yelling at each other and you're bumping up against other people. It's really intense. But then after a while, it kind of gets into a, a rhythm and then for the middle, you know, the middle 40% of the race, yeah. it's, it's just a steady rhythm, you know, uh, it's like a threshold effort, you know, and then the end is really intense. If you, if you're able to get up to the front at the end, then your heart rate goes up to, you know, 180 to 200 maximum. maximum yeah. Yeah. Maximum heart rate. And you're just, Yeah. That's so, crazy, man. So how many races have you done? Have you like been in? Uh, in the States, I raced for two seasons. I did probably about 25 races. And then uh, in 2017, my fiance Anna got a scholarship to come and uh, do her PhD in the States, or I mean in, in the UK. And so we moved to Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, in late 2017 and I brought my bike with me. I got a bike bag and I brought my race bike over with me. Yeah. And, uh, I joined a cycling club cause that's how you race here. You have to join a team. You can't do it individually. Oh. So I joined, a, yeah. So I joined a race club here and started training with them. They train on, on the weekends and a couple days during the week. And, uh, and then I started getting my butt kicked again, because uh, <laughs> in the states I did I moved up categories pretty quickly after I started you know training. I started doing some research about training and yeah. how you know uh, doing like hit hit training, you know you know high intensity interval training. So I started doing that. Then I came here and it's a whole different level here of, of cycling. Euro Europeans take cycling so much more seriously. Yeah, what like. I don't know, kind of try to describe that. Like what, I don't know. I'm just trying to think like, I, it's hard for me to even imagine cause I've never been over to the UK or anything, but I know that cycling is like a huge sport over there, but what's like, what's the difference in cultures, you know, like specifically with cycling, uh, well, I guess. I mean, physically it's harder because the roads are about half as wide. Oh, okay. So like America, we're used to these giant roads. So there's, there's just generally more space between you and the other rider. And it's a little more, it's a little easier to navigate, but here, even the biggest roads are like a country lane. So everything's tighter. Yeah. Everything's more dangerous. And, uh, the guys are a lot more aggressive here in terms of like, they'll elbow you like they'll they'll give you a jab you know where in the states people are a little more safety oriented yeah here they're ruthless man they want to win <laughs> and 
And also, they're a lot closer to the professional recruiting system. Okay. So like, even if you're American, if you want to be a pro, you go over to Europe and ride. I, yeah, so, like, a couple guys from my club have gone, so a couple young kids from my club have gone on to join pro teams. So, there's there's that uh, proximity to, uh, you know, the, the professional level. So that, I think that influences, you know, the, the amount people are training and the, the aggressiveness of the riding. Yeah. Do you, what do you prefer? Do you prefer when it's flat? Do you prefer going uphill and climbing or just like bombing downhills? Oh man, I prefer the flat. You got to be a tiny guy to love the hills. <laughs> you do. You got to be like, 140 pounds to <laughs> to go real fast yeah you know and like I'm, at my best weight i would be 165 you know and like that's that's if i'm like calorie restricting you know like so you got to be real light to like going uphill yeah. on a bike <laughs> which i got like also like calorie restricting and doing an endurance sport like cycling sounds like a that they like go against each other i'm like how could you calorie restrict and be successful at cycling you know what i mean i kind of just feel like the guys who are 140 they're that's their body type you know well that's that, that's a huge part of it right i mean that's that's endurance like genetics are a huge part of it yeah like your lactate threshold that stuff i mean you know you can improve it so much but a lot of those people who are the best of the best are just freaks of nature yeah yeah i don't know yeah uh as an american that's hard to accept i think you know because we think like we can do anything (laughs) (laughs) well let me ask you this so when you're riding with with guys in ireland and you said they're a little more hardcore um i have to think their their insults are just straight up better you know what i mean like well, you're I trying to throw here, your lame them. yeah you're trying to throw your lame american insults back at them and it's just bouncing yeah. off them and you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> well they have a very thick accent here, so I understand, you know, ten like, percent of what they're saying to me anyway. Yeah, so. yeah. You're like, they're do you just pretend they're like giving you compliments. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> you too. <laughs> That's all. Have you have you thrown any bows? No, no. I don't. I don't do that. Yeah. I don't know. No. That's the Iowan in you. You're no. very respectful. Let me get into some of Brady's uh, questions here. Hold on. This isn't even All a right. question. He said, "What?" It, well, I guess that is a question. He just didn't put a question mark. Learn your punctuation, man. Uh, he said, what did you learn about Iowa and Iowans having lived in Oklahoma, Delaware, and Ireland? Uh well, I will say the majority of people that I've met who didn't come from Iowa are much more connected to uh, their family and home. I do feel like there is a big focus on individualism in Iowa. Yeah, and I think it, I think it comes from our German roots and our our Protestant roots. 
you know, like the people that came and settled Iowa were very individualistic. And yeah. And I mean, you look at like most people leave home at 18 and don't come back, you know, that is true. There's a lot of people who are from Iowa who don't live there, but everyone's always so proud of where they're from. I I love Iowa and I love going home, but you know, it, it, there is like an, if you did have to move home, it, something would feel wrong inside of you. And I feel like the Irish people I've met, uh, who are, who are our age, you know, early thirties, they're always going home or they live at home and they're cool with it. And the Italians, like Anna's got family who lives in Italy and like, the son, until you're married, you live with your folks. Yeah. It doesn't matter how old you are, you know? And it makes a lot more sense economically, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think they're just closer in that way. And they're not as they're not as worried about seeming uh, uh, like it's a, sh- a shameful thing, you know, to not be independent. Yeah. That makes sense. And, uh, so I, I would say I learned. I learned that. Yeah. I've I've tried to kind of I don't know. Like I'm I'm a very I feel like I'm very driven at times, but I'm also trying to learn how to be okay, you know, on the days where I don't accomplish much and I just want to like enjoy where I'm at right now and like the moment I'm in and not have to think about like always moving forward on some sort of thing. Like I feel like it's really good to have those goals. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't want them to really define my life and control what I'm doing every single day. Well, I'm sure once you become a parent, that that perspective broadens significantly, right? I would assume that. I think it might be the sleep deprivation that goes along with it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like, I'm tired all the time. Um, <laughs> let me... But here's, also, you, yeah. But you need that, right? Like, you need... You need dead time. Yeah. You need that lazy time to be able to go and then go hard at something later. That's true. I know. It, I've. I've. This is what I've been working on for the last year. Really is. Um. And I'm trying to think of a smart way to put this, and I probably won't be able to. Basically, like when I'm doing something, I'm all in on that one thing, and when it's time to go out and train and go for a run or whatever that's what I'm in on and I'm giving it my all. But when I'm back at home and I'm being dad or I'm being husband or I'm being a teacher, like I'm giving a hundred percent to that. If that makes sense. That's fantastic. But I feel like what you just said about, you know, being individualistic, I never thought about it that way, but maybe that's, maybe that's part of it. Cause there are moments where if I'm sitting around doing nothing, I am like, what are you doing? Like, you gotta go do something, dude. Yeah, it's this built-in shame mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, let me give you one more from Brady, and then we'll wrap this thing up. He said, Jake lives in Ireland, but I've never met someone. I, I don't know why I'm reading it in this like really fake, weird <laughs> voice. <laughs> but he said, but I've never met someone better suited to be an Italian. I feel like Jake could wax poetically about thinly shaved Italian meats for a while. 
So go ahead. Brady man. knows me too well. <laughs> so what's your favorite thinly shaved Italian meat? Oh man, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Like I love a nice smoky piece of prosciutto, <laughs> but I also love uh, this very spicy salami uh, called soppressata. Okay. Which they're completely different taste. One is almost like a chorizo tasting. The other one's like a a very strong ham, but I love them both. And I've been <laughs> I've been introduced to all this food through Anna and her family. Like I said, her family, uh, both of her side of the family are from Italy. Yeah. And they've stayed in contact with their family there uh, over the I mean through the 20th century they stayed in contact. It's like her family came over in the 1910s. Wow. And so we every year we go and visit her family over in Italy, and the food is just absurd. Like it's so good. It's so good. Uh-huh. Hands down the best food I've ever had in my life. Oh my God. So, so yeah, I, uh, I do love cured meat, <laughs> which is something I had to give. I gave it up for Lent this year actually, because it's, I know it's not good for you. I know it's not good for you. But. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious, man. Well, Hey dude, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I, I wrote, I, let me just show you this. I had a notebook cause I was going to write stuff down, but I just found myself enthralled. So all I wrote down was <laughs> Belfast. That's all I wrote down. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> well, I had a good time too, Chris. It was good catching up with you, buddy. Yeah, man. When are you coming back to the States at any point? Uh, July. We're, okay. we're going to uh we're, we're supposed to get married in early April in Italy, but coronavirus is throwing a wrench into things. So uh, we were going to have a big party in Iowa in July. Okay. But now we have to figure out what's going on. Reevaluate. So, well, hopefully, you know. Yeah. You, you should still go to Italy. That's my opinion. If you get sick, I feel I will feel terrible for telling you that. <laughs> It's my opinion too, but I'm not the only one involved in the decision making. That is so. true, and like a wedding, like that's a big deal. So yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get you. <laughs> but all right, man. Well, hey, uh, yeah, man. I'll I'll have to get back at you some point. If you ever come to Colorado, dude, please let us know, and you know you're always welcome over here. Oh, thanks so much. I yeah. will do. And Take care. We- Say hi to Lindsay and the kids. Will do. Yeah. All right, guys. That is a wrap on this episode of the podcast number 191 um i think i mentioned it in the last episode i've definitely been able to record more of these lately um and so i'll probably be doing two a week for uh at least the next few weeks we'll see how it goes um as we are fast approaching episode 200 which i have no idea what we're gonna do for episode 200 i like (laughs) So if you guys have ideas, uh, you know, send me a message or something like that. Uh, that'd be cool. But anyways, huge thanks to Jake. Um, I hope he's staying safe over there. Um, I hope you guys are staying safe at home, you know, hanging out with your family, enjoying your time, this weird time where it threw a wrench in everyone's plans and everyone's routine. And yet we can still try to try to find, uh, you know, the joy um, of, of being able, being allowed to spend more time with, uh, the people that we love, uh, which is cool. And, you know, um, 
hopefully you're reaching out like there's a bunch of like i think about my my parents right now like they're they're basically in a house like kind of secluded um you know because they're they're divorced so my mom lives in iowa my dad was in nevada and then he uh when when he realized he should probably get back because he was staying in his uh camper in nevada but anyway so he drove back to wisconsin uh north north woods kind of stuff and you know so you know just think about those people in your lives like you know try to make sure you're calling them every day and and figuring out creative ways to interact and basically show them like hey like i love you and i hope you are staying safe and i just can't wait till we get to hang out again you know um because it has to be a frustrating scary stressful anxious experience for everybody you know and there are obviously like varying levels to all of this stuff um so well and that and with my dad i'm like i'm a little bit you know jealous of the north woods experience i'm like oh man because he's like yeah i'm just going walking down these uh um like snowmobile road or yeah like i guess snowmobile like trails through the woods and he's like yeah i'm seeing like i was like two miles back there and i saw these like dog footprints and stuff or maybe they're wolves and i was like mm, yeah it, yeah two miles into a secluded trail like probably wolves there my guy um <laughs> uh but i just think that's so cool um so you know i hope you know if that's where someone can find a little bit of you know uh optimism and and peace right now like that's awesome do that if you're really into like baking food and you got the flour and all that stuff like dude do that if you're really into like you know what's it called knitting <laughs> i was trying to think uh yeah if you're really into like knitting or something and that's your stress relief do that just but find something that like brings you some sort of stress relief you know it's funny like on this show i've always talked about like go out find your big adventures well it seems like right now like all like humanity's big adventure is to keep keep everybody safe as best we can and if that is staying inside and you know finding but you know maybe our big adventure is like finding that passion for stuff we can do in our living area wherever that may be right like i don't know if you have a garden or like even like a balcony garden like try to do some of that like that would be cool this is a chance to explore you know some interests that you might not normally have time to explore and if you're just a complete badass like jake allison and you go out and you chase your passion no matter what like you're gonna find that that passion is gonna bring you some lessons to your life it's going to bring you some things that you might have needed to learn. And I think that's something that all of us should pursue. So um, that's why I've always been inspired by Jake, to be honest. Um, it takes guts. It takes bravery when you're a high school kid, you know, in an area where, you know, you don't hear about a lot of dudes going out and pursuing dancing and you go and do that. You know, like that's that's freaking awesome, man. Like that's what this like 
having guts and chasing your passions that's that defines it to me so uh, i love that story i hope you guys did too um we'll come back at you later this week we are going to talk with ryan wanless and emily wanless uh post iditarod trail invitational so uh it's really really cool story um i'm so happy that ryan finished the race and had this just incredible experience so uh, we will catch up with them again um, later this week all right talk to you later